We are in a series called Acts Square One, looking at the beginning of the church. And to do that, we're going to start by reading, before we go into Acts, we're going to start by reading uh, the first bit of Genesis 11. And as a setup, the reason to go to Genesis 11 is because if you've been dead for a while, like it's Super Bowl Sunday, and if you don't think that there is power in a united thing, united front, united sport, united whatever, more than a billion people, more, one in seven on the planet is going to watch what happens in a few hours. That, in history, we've never lived in a time like this. In America alone, 1.25 billion chicken wings will be eaten this afternoon, (laughs) according to the Wall Street Journal, reputable source. 71 million pounds of avocado will be consumed today. Get your guac on. (laughs) Today. If you think there isn't power when people come together, you are sadly mistaken. But let's look at one of the early stories of power misplaced. Read with me. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a place in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, to the gods, so that we may make a name, listen, for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. In the beginning, when people got together and try to make a name for themselves. The Lord saw, and the Lord did something. This is intriguing. There was one language. People from all over spoke one tongue, and God, in the mystery of how he works, confused the languages. And so people spread apart, and nations and continents. And so God did that. Now, before we go to Acts, one more spot. This morning, I know you were doing devotions to Jesus out of Ezekiel. Okay, let's go there. It's a book in the Bible. I would say it's between Lamentations and Daniel, but that means Jack, okay? Fine, Ezekiel, table of contents to the right. Ezekiel 37 and uh, Genesis 11 and Ezekiel 37 have everything to do with what we're going to read from Acts, so it's not a waste of time. Ezekiel 37, just keep turning. I, I gave myself 10 minutes of stall time for everyone to find it. Fear not. We're going to get there. And we we don't put most stuff on the screen because I want you to read your Bible. I want you to see it for yourself so that you can mark something if it makes sense to you. Okay, Ezekiel 37, verse one. The hand of the Lord was on me, the prophet saying, and he brought me out by the spirit 
of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Pause. This is a man of God who has a vision. This is not literal. This is a vision that God gives him, and it's a valley, and it's full of bones, full of death. Read two. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Smart guy. I have no idea. God, only you know, because they look quite dead to me. All right. Verse four. God said to me, prophesy, speak to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied or I spoke as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, speaking, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy, speak to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and speak to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I spoke, I prophesied, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then God gives the explanation. Verse 11. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are, and then we know what this is about, the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy, speak, And say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and and bring you up from them. Key verse, verse 14, I will put my spirit, my Holy Spirit in you and you will live. I'll settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Okay, a lot of Bible reading is just so good. The people are united and God comes down, sees them and confuses the languages, sends them apart. Centuries later, 600 years before the time of Jesus, the people feel scattered apart. The people call Israel, the people who are supposed to represent God to the world, the people that their relationship to God is the model for how the world can know God, instead of showing the life, they feel dead, defeated, scattered, like dry bones in a valley, no hope, no life. And God says to a man, speak to these people. I'm gonna breathe life, wind. I'm gonna re-put them back together. And they're going to be alive again, a vast army. And here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to bring them to life. I, God says, I am going to put my own spirit inside of them. Now, all that is the background to Acts 2. Go to the right. Acts 2, Super Bowl Sunday, happens to coincide with a bigger event with a more powerful result. I want us to read it. Acts 2, and we're gonna look through 
and kind of go verse by verse for a bit and make some application. So here we go. Verse one of chapter two, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Babel, everyone together in one place. Valley of bones, all of it scattered together in one place. No accident. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Sound familiar? They're together in one place and suddenly there is a a violence, a wind, and the Spirit of God fills the place. Now, what we're gonna see is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Verse three, then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Three signs that Luke gives us, miraculous signs that what's referred and hinted to in Genesis 11 and given more vividly in Ezekiel 37 is about to come to pass. God is about to do something new. We're living on the flip side of it. We're looking at the event and we wanna leave here thinking about what the event means. Remember, Acts tells us the story of God through his people. It's the ministry of Jesus that continues once Jesus goes up. God hasn't given up. He's working through a people. And at the beginning, we see a mark of something new to come. Now, there are three signs. There is wind and there is fire. Wind and fire. It's the only time Luke is going to bring up these symbols. But wind and fire are signs of the presence of God. Wind and fire in Greek is the same word. Wind, fire, nuances of the same thing. In Hebrew, it's the same thing. Wind and fire is the same root word in Greek. It's the same root word in Hebrew. And even in Hebrew, wind and fire and spirit all has the same Root, they're speaking of the same thing. They're telling us about the presence of God. So if you're new to the Bible and you read this, you're like, when God comes, this is really weird. No, there are signs of God's presence. In the Bible, wind and fire are two of those signs. So let me take you back. We'll throw it on the screen for time. Uh, Exodus 19, God is about to meet with the people called Israel. He already rescued them took him out of Egypt. He's about to bring them to the land of promise, but he wants to give them instruction. And look at this little, I just pulled out a few verses. It says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning sounds with a thick cloud, another sign of the presence of God over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with what? Fire. Did he literally come down with fire? No, it's a sign of the presence of God. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. So these are signs all throughout the Bible, wind and fire signs. So when God comes to visit you, you know it. 
Now, if I come to your house and visit you, chips and guac, I'm all right. No big deal, we hang out. When God comes to visit you, you just need to know this. God is not like us. And so when his presence is real, you should expect it to be different. When God visits you in powerful ways, you should not just be like, eh, no big deal. You should be taken up by it. The people of God have always been taken up when God shows up. Now, what is, what is Luke's point early on? Early on in the book of Acts, he's letting us know something, that what God has been doing, God will continue to do. Remember, Jesus just ascended to the Father. And so you wonder, if Jesus is gone, is the movement over? And Luke wants you and I to know, no, just because Jesus goes does not mean that the movement stops. The signs of the presence of God are still there, there, which means God's presence is still with his people. God has not left you and I alone. That's why verse four says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. What's happening? Ezekiel 37 is being fulfilled right here. God said he would fill his people, that his spirit would be inside of them, and a group of people that didn't feel alive would come to life again. So the coming of the Holy Spirit and the speaking with tongues is about a promise. God made a promise, God keeps his promise, and not just the prophet, not just Ezekiel, not just Peter, James, and John and the 12, all of them, every one, 120 in the room are now filled and they're speaking. Now, what happens when they're filled? Verse five. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. This is incredible. You have people from all over the known Roman world that are Jewish by religious affiliation. They're followers of the creator God, followers of Yahweh. They've come back to Jerusalem to celebrate and suddenly they hear something that is strange to them. And so they hear the good news. They hear worship in their own language. Verse seven, utterly amazed, they asked, are all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? The coming of the Holy Spirit, get this, is about the gospel to the nations. When God wants to get his message out, he uses people. That is the story of the Bible. God has never chosen to lead people from a cloud where he alone is leading and guiding and you gotta look up to see where God is. For some crazy reason, God has chosen throughout time to use human beings as part of the way that he leads. And now he's about to take 120 ordinary people and get his message of love and forgiveness. Remember, Jesus is the one who comes to save. Jesus is the one who comes to rescue. And how are people gonna know about that? He's gonna use a people. And so the coming of the Spirit, don't get lost in the signs. Don't get lost. It's about the nations hearing the gospel. So Luke is gonna do something. He is gonna 
mention three signs, wind and fire, and those are signs of the presence of God, but he's gonna focus on tongues. The rest of Acts 2 is about tongues, and here is why. Tongues are about speaking. It's about speech. It's about vocalizing. And what we're going to find out, it's about God's heart to speak to the nations. So the beginning of the movement of what you and I call the church was orchestrated by God. He gets 120 people in the room. He fills them like Ezekiel 37 with his presence. And what happens as a result, I want you to notice something. It's kind of small, but it's, it's big. Verse four, go back. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's the 120. Verse five, they're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together. So we're gonna find out next week that there are thousands of people who respond to the message. Thousands which implies there were more than the number who responded present because I don't think everyone said yes to Jesus. Did they all fit in the room? No, it's a room with 120 people. So the first thing that happens is this group receives God's gift, the Holy Spirit, and they leave the room and this thing that's happening didn't end because the crowd now hears it and they are utterly amazed. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, God will move you. You need to get that. Acts is the record of the movement of people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moves them and the Holy Spirit moves us. Now let's just apply this before we, we kind of finish it up. What does that say about the nations and what does it say about us? We're blessed to live in a city where the nations have come to live. So in Jerusalem, there happened to be because uh, Passover is 50 days prior to this event. And now this is the, fe the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And it's a celebration of harvest. So some people stayed over from Passover. Others just came for the celebration. It's one of the big feasts in, in, in Israeli faith. And they come to give thanks because God has provided food. Literally, they're farmers. So they give thanks to God. But here's what happened. During the Feast of Pentecost, not everyone, but there was a large group of Jews who saw that as not just we're thanking God for giving us rain and harvest, but they think, the Jews thought, that this was also the same day that God came and spoke to Moses on the mountain. That what we read, Exodus 19. That, so, so many people took Pentecost to be the celebration of the giving of the law. God came down with fire. God came down with thunder. God's presence was there and God spoke to his people and gave us all these life-giving words. So Pentecost was about more than just thank you, God, for food. It's thank you, God, that you have come. Now we live in a time where God has assembled people. They had the 120. And during that feast, people came from all over the Roman Empire. And look at what's happened today. There are companies like Nike and Intel and Columbia and others that are assembling people, experts from around the world. And I'm here to remind you that God is using companies to fulfill his global plan. God is doing it. God, now, now, 
Oregon is an interesting place and Portland is an interesting city. We live in one of the whitest states in the union. 88.1% of people in Oregon identify themselves as W-H-I-T-E, white. Most of the country, the average is 17% of the population of the average state is African-American. In, in Oregon, it's 2%. We are not ethnically diverse, but God in his wisdom saw the sunset corridor and he said, I'm gonna do something interesting. I am going to bring companies here that will draw experts from around the world to make chips and to make sportswear, but to receive the gospel. Do you see the parallel of what God is doing? So you and I live in a part of the city that is more ethnically diverse. Just think about it. Willamette Weekly rates Chennai Masala, an Indian place just down the street, as the best Indian food in all of the Portland metro area. Why? You got to be legit. Because India is here. Do you not see that? That the nations have come to the sunset quarter. So God is setting us up if we're willing to see it. So what would happen if everyone started hearing people declare the praises of God in Chinese and in Korean and in Tamil or any other language? What would happen if the people saw you and suddenly in their own way experienced God's presence and God speaking to them? So Luke spends most of his time dealing with tongues because tongues are about speech and speech is about what Ezekiel was doing. He was speaking life to the nations because God wants to bring life. Now, what are tongues and what is the story? Because the second we mention tongues, 99.9% .9 of you are already freaked out. Super Bowl Sunday, chicken wings I get, guac I get, tongues, come on. Hey, man, I went to one of these churches, and I tell you, I thought it was a Spanish-speaking church, and next thing you know, they're all speaking English, but things started to go off. It went sideways, and I walked out. I want to be a part of a Jesus church, but I'm afraid of that Holy Spirit church. What are tongues? Um, what are tongues anyway? In, in tongues in Acts 2 is the word glossa, which means languages. And here, what you need to know is in Acts 2, they are actually hearing languages. As the Spirit came on the 120, they did not know the other languages. But the Holy Spirit used their voice, and as they speak in these, what to them is unintelligible, people started to hear it. So look at verse uh, 8, verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one, one another, what does this mean? What are tongues? A couple of things that you and I need to know about the Holy Spirit and tongues. First thing is tongues are a real spirit-inspired language. You don't learn it. It's not like learning French or German or Spanish but they are a language. Tongues does not come up just in Acts 2. It comes up in Acts 2. It comes up in Acts 10. It comes up in Acts 19. It comes up in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14. So tongues is something that has to do with languages. 
So it's not learned. The second thing we need to know is tongues are one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 2, they don't need to interpret it. Tongues, they speak, and, and people with these other languages hear someone speaking God talk in a language that they know. They need no interpreter. But they, later on, you see tongues throughout Acts, and then you see it in the church, because Paul has to correct a group of people on abusing tongues, and tongues need to be interpreted. So sometimes it needs no interpretation, sometimes it needs an interpretation, but what we need to know is that it is a manifestation. It's one way that the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks in many ways. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll find that the Holy Spirit does not, he's not cookie cutter. You cannot put him in a box. He will manifest his presence in all sorts of ways. In tongues, in prophecy, in healing, in the working of miracles, in, in ordinary ways, in gifts of administration. There's a manifestation of how the Holy Spirit works by getting people the ability to organize in a way that's beyond their own human ability. Not that they had an MBA, no problem with that, but the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're able. So some of them seem more wow, others of them seem more normal, but we need to see them all as manifestations of the one Spirit. Finally, tongues are a valuable expression today. There are lots, and this is where the church gets like confused and, and divided a bit on what do we do with this? Is it for like the first century church until we had the Bible or is this a valid expression? And we as a group of elders, as a, as a church, believe that it's a valuable expression. It's not just a expression, it's actually a valuable expression today. Now, I would love to spend the rest of our time talking about tongues, but that's actually not the point. What we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna table this for a second. It's gonna show up in Acts 10 and 19 and then we're gonna really think about what God has to say about these languages. So for more, hang out. Acts 10 will be like December. And Acts 19 could be like 2020. I don't know, whenever we get there. So hold on. But I need you to know that Luke's point, his main point is not tongues in Acts 2. It's a sign of the greater reality. The bigger point is that the sign points to what's happened. What's happened is God has shown himself to be true among his people. A quote from John Stott concerning tongues and where it fits. It says, discussion about the nature of tongues must not distract our attention from Luke's understanding of the significance of the day of Pentecost. It symbolized a new unity in the spirit transcending racial, national, and linguistic barriers. What we need to know is that Acts 2 is about God doing a new thing through his people. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you back for a minute and Lee, we're gonna jump back to a slide that I missed that's kind of important. The Holy Spirit came. So God the Father sent his son, Jesus. Jesus ascends back to the Father and the Father through the Son send the Holy Spirit. Some of us though get this out of whack. The Holy Spirit is God not just part of God. Let's get that up on the screen. Write that down, please. The Holy Spirit is God, not just part of God. So this is how some of us read this. God is a father. He has all the power. He gives some power to his son. And I get the son because I see Jesus teaching and healing and doing the work. So wow, to know the son is incredible. And so the son goes away. Oh, so until the son comes back, he sends the little spirit. That's not 
how the Bible relays it. If you have the Holy Spirit, God is with you. All of God that you need. So we mustn't look at it as Father, Son, eh, Spirit. The point is the people of God need God. And at Pentecost, God shows himself to still be working through his people. Now, this is where Genesis 11 comes back into play because God saw the nations back in Genesis 11 that they were doing something apart from God. They weren't united in worship. They were united in building their own kingdom. So God judges the nations. But at the right time, God's goal has always been one people of all ethnic groups speaking the praises of God together. And so the coming of the Spirit is the beginning of God's master plan. Because of Jesus, salvation's available. People can be made right with God. Sin can be forgiven. We can be filled with God's presence. We can live God's way. We can do God's work. And no matter what your ethnic background, no matter what your religious affiliation, no matter your history or lack of history, everyone can be filled. Verse four, don't you forget it. All of them were filled. The apostles were filled. Mary was there. Mother Jesus was filled. The women were filled. The young were filled. The old were filled. Everyone's filled with the Spirit. And that is the point of church, is that if you have come and you name the name of Jesus and you've repented of sin and chosen to receive his gift of grace, then you have God residing in you. That ought to liberate you. When you think that the creator has chosen to make his home in you. Now, I don't feel that way often. I feel like I need God's power. I need God's presence. Acts 2 is the reminder that we don't need to wait because he is here. And he's not just here in the wind. And he's not just here in the fire. He's inside of his people speaking. Ezekiel, prophesy, speak to these bones and to the people of God. When they receive the Spirit, the first thing they do is their mouth is open, declaring the wonders of God in a way that people that they had no connection with could understand. So when the Holy Spirit comes, and when he came 2,000 years ago, and when he comes on us, it enables us to communicate the truth and the reality of God, the person of Jesus, the work of God in ways that are beyond us. What I am saying is you don't have to be clever and you don't have to have experience and you don't need a degree and you don't need a class. If God lives in you, you can declare the wonders of God and people can get it. And people can encounter the presence of God, not just in an ethereal way, but through you. So Genesis 11 is... Uh, is after Genesis 10. And if we had time, Genesis 10 is called the Table of Nations. Genesis 10 has this list of all these nations that were building the tower, and God stopped that. And so Luke picks up on it in a subtle way, and he gives us the Table of Nations in Acts 2. And you see now all of these nations have assembled together to worship God, and God shows up, and instead of crushing what they're doing, he fills what they're doing, and now... The negative effect of Babel, that language and culture would keep people from talking to each other and worshiping together. Now all of that has been broken. 
And God has united a people together who all have the spirit of God and can do the wonders of God as one people. Now, now so what we need is more tongue speaking. Because if all of us will speak in tongues, then the nations will know. Well, that's actually not what Acts says. Look at verse 13. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they said to each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And, and later we'll see that Peter's going to respond to that. What is, what is the point of that? It's when the Spirit of God comes on his people. Not everyone's going to get it. So everyone could speak in tongues and be able to hear the praise of God in their own language and still not get it. So the sign is not what we're after. What we're after is the reality that God has come. So when you encounter God, sometimes it looks messy. Sometimes people don't get it. I remember my brother, my younger brother, Raphael, when he first came to faith, after years and years of heavy alcohol and drug abuse and godless living, when he first came alive to Jesus, he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you have repented of sin and received the grace of God, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. There are all sorts of terms that are used in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. And it happens at the moment that we receive Jesus Christ. But that's not where it ends. God comes and lives in us. And we are the temple of God. But God continues to come. And he continues to fill us. And he continues to use us. So my brother, when he first started sharing the good news with people, his friends did not get it. They thought he'd gone wacko. They thought he lost his mind. And so just because God is working in your life does not mean that people are gonna get it. The point is people are gonna need to hear you intelligibly share what God has done and we're gonna see that next week. Next week, Peter, now full of the Holy Spirit, is gonna not just with tongues but with English in our vernacular, in Aramaic in his day, he is gonna declare the wonders of God and let people know. So God's spirit comes so that we can speak. That is my point. And let me just throw a little sidebar in terms of the value of all that God has. I'm gonna throw this out there because I love you and I believe we're a family. I speak in tongues just about every day. And I think there's great value in it. Some of our elders and leaders speak in tongues. Some of our elders and leaders do not speak in tongues. Some people in this church do. Some people don't. That is not the sign of spirituality or the lack of spirituality. The Holy Spirit manifests himself in multiple ways. Multiple ways. So what you need to get is this. Two things before we go to the table and respond and some people are baptized. Number one, every Jesus follower has the Holy Spirit. Every Jesus follower. How the Holy Spirit manifests his presence in your life will vary. It'll vary from person to person. It'll vary from time to time. It'll vary on the circumstance, on the need. But, but just because you're not seeing the activity of the Spirit in your life does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not there. Doesn't mean he hasn't filled you. Doesn't mean like you're like less usable. Same Spirit in different people for different purposes. So you have things that the Spirit wants to do through you. What are those? I don't know. But I thank God for the church I grew up in. The church I grew up in um, kept me ignorant. They never told me I had to wait. So 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 years old, this church just believed that anyone who has the Holy Spirit could be used by God. So when the church did stuff, they invited young people to join. So I remember being 12, 13, 14 in New York City, 
going to the projects, the poorer part of towns, the big tenant housing for those who can't afford, and going door to door and, and, and asking if people needed a light bulb or how can we serve you and doing cleaning projects. They invited students to be involved. So by the time I'm 16, I preached my first message to our youth group at 16. Now, I'm not here to brag and boast on, on what God has done. What I'm here to say is my church kept me ignorant. They didn't tell me you had to wait. They actually set me free. I say it tongue in cheek. They said, if you have the Holy Spirit, God can use you. And if you have the Holy Spirit, God should use you. And so what I pray for us in terms of application is because every person is filled with the Holy Spirit that our middle schoolers should be actively involved in the community, that our high schoolers should be leading the way, that our university students should be showing us the pattern of how the Spirit's gonna work with the younger generation, that every one of us, young and old, everyone has a Spirit. So our church growing up didn't keep me back. They pushed me forward. I didn't know better. Unfortunately, some of you were poorly taught. You were taught you had to wait. You were taught you're not good enough. You were taught you didn't know enough. And I'm here to release you in Jesus' name. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're usable. You're usable now. So you may be 50 looking back thinking, oh, I didn't know that. Well, don't lament the last 50 years. Celebrate the next whatever you get. And now Take that lie and push it to the side. You have the Holy Spirit. God can and will and should use you. You have the Holy Spirit. I pray that the mark of our church would be that everyone is filled. Everyone is working. Everyone is serving. Everyone is using those manifestations of the Spirit. I pray that happens. Second thing is what the Holy Spirit does here is about the nations. It's not about here alone. What God wants to do is, yes, he wants to take some people who come here to be an intel engineer and they don't know Jesus and they encounter Jesus and they go back to wherever they go and the message continues, sure. But it's also about us involved locally and globally. We wanna be a people. Because we have the spirit, we know from Acts 2, it's about the good news going out to the ends of the earth and Jesus said, when you receive the Spirit, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So we feel that our mission is endless. There isn't a country, there isn't a culture, there isn't a language group that God may not stir us. Now, we're not going to go everywhere, but we're not going to limit ourselves by what we have and what we can do and the resources we can pull together. We're going to take those limitations off and instead pray, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go? And wow, that seems impossible. Game on. We're in. It's impossible. If we wait for resources, if we wait for the right timing and when it makes sense and it's all planned together, we will do jack. But if we listen to the Spirit of God and in faith say, you know what? This seems right. It seems like it's impossible. Sounds like God talk. And then we dive in. There's no telling what God might do through you. Now, let's get super practical in terms of the mission of God around the world. We already do it. When you give, 10% goes to a ministry called Hear the Cry, poor, widow, orphan around the world. 10% go towards a fund where we do church planning and evangelism here and around the world. But we're gonna invite you to go. The Spirit is in you. Now go, let the Spirit use you in ways that are beyond you. 
Why go on a trip? Because sometimes when you're taken out of your comfort zone, you're more open to the Spirit's leading. It's just, it's a fact. Get you in your cul-de-sac, you're already scared to death. You go on a plane, you go somewhere, and suddenly it's like, okay, I'm open. So what happens is the Spirit uses you, and then you get back on the plane, and you realize, well, why am I limiting God when I'm in Hillsborough? That's the point. A couple of trips that I want to highlight that are coming up. Hearthecry.com is where you can sign up, or .org. Is it .org or .com? Exactly, .org. Uh, Haiti, it's the least expensive trip and the shortest. Go, let God use you. It's coming up in April. Myanmar, this one's a little more selective. We want to train pastors and teach pastors. If you've got that degree, that expertise, and you're looking for a trip, Myanmar in April. Nicaragua, family-friendly, short. It would be great father-son, mother-daughter, serving together, hand-in-hand. Uganda, Scott Bell and I are leading a trip. I am praying you come to Uganda and preach the gospel in schools, in the community, and let God stretch you. It may not be your natural inclination, but when you let God stretch you, you come home and you say, God, stretch me. Now, not everyone's going to go, but maybe you hear about someone going and you can support them. Maybe you can get them there. Whatever the case is, we are a part of the global mission. So the question to ask is, am I inviting the Holy Spirit to use me? Or am I resisting? Acts 2 forces us to ask that question. Am I inviting? So, because the Spirit's already come. That was history. Happened on one day. And because of that, the ripple effect is still being felt. So we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is here. This is the age, the season of life, where the Holy Spirit is working throughout all of his people. But the question is, will all of the people listen to the Spirit? Will we ask him to use us? Or are we just going to resist and say, God, I'm just, I'm, a few songs, a little message, a little tip in the bucket, and I'm going to go on in my regular life. Friend, that, Life is a wasted life. It's a waste. When you have the Spirit, you will have power. And the Spirit will use you.